you have your Bibles and you would turn to Philippians chapter number 2, and uh, I want to talk to you tonight on the subject of a servant's heart, and this is something that uh, was sparked in my spirit uh, quite a while ago when Sister Paula Myers uh, gave me a book um, on armor bearers, and uh, I've always considered myself an armor bearer for my pastor, and uh, the more I've got to study on what an armor bearer is, an armor bearer is simply a servant, and uh, so that sparked something in me, and uh, I'd like to share that with you tonight. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5, and the Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant. Everybody say a servant. And was made in the likeness of men. I want you to catch that, that God himself, uh, the great creator of the universe, the great creator of all things, who created everything with just a spoken word, decided to robe himself in flesh, and the Bible says that he took upon him the form of a servant. Verse number 8 says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient unto death. Of course, being the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. Everybody say the name of Jesus. Verse number 10, that at that name, or at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Would you just read that verse with me, verse number 10? Let's read it together. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven and in things in earth, and things under the earth. And verse number 11 together, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A servant's heart. I looked up what a servant was uh, just for my own benefit and to share. And Webster defines a servant simply as a devout and helpful follower or supporter that is totally committed to a cause or to a belief. You see, in the world that we live in today, in society today, uh, the concept of a servant or the concept of servanthood is looked on very distastefully in today's culture. We are a nation, we are a people uh, where we believe that no one is better than any other. Uh, that being someone's servant or that serving somebody uh, is a place of lowliness or it is that being someone's servant means that you are looked down upon or that you are less worthy than someone else. Or some even think that a servant and a slave is interchangeable, which is staggering to me, so that a servant is barely regarded as a human being or they're even regarded as the property of a master. That is what society has told us that a servant is. We think those that, uh, that are much wealthier than probably any of us in this room that they have servants that do anything from make their bed in the morning. I, man, I'd like that. That's one of the things I hate to do. But they have people that, that make their bed. They have people that, that clean their house. There are people, it's even hard for me to believe, there are people that have probably never even turned on a stove. They've never taken a box of mac and cheese because that is so difficult They've never taken a box of mac and cheese, and Sister Robin's pointing at Mick. I don't 
you guys can work that out on your own. I don't, I don't do marriage counseling. But there are people that have never cooked mac and cheese. There, I, I, yes, I have, sister. Yes, I have. A time or two in my life. Maybe once, but that's beside the point. There are people that are waiting on hand and foot, people that have never mowed their yard, people that don't do their landscape, people that don't even drive their own car because they have people that do that. And in society, we look at those people, unfortunately, as being less than most. And we say, well, they're just, you know, they, 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 they don't really have any skill sets or they don't, they don't really know how to do anything else. So we unfortunately regard a person of servanthood or a person that is devoted, that is, that is sold out to a belief, a cause, or to a religion. Some people look on a servant as being a person of disdain or someone who is distasteful to look at. So, but what I want us to understand tonight, that although that society may look at people of servanthood in this way, I want to clarify that all of us in this room, and really that everybody that is uh, alive on this earth, that is walking, that is breathing, everyone is called to be a servant, just like Jesus. And sometimes we miss that. Sometimes, uh, sometimes young people are taught that, that unless uh, you are, well, I'll just go ahead and say it, unless you are standing in a pulpit or, or, or preaching a message or you're, you're teaching a Sunday school class or you're, you're doing these things, some, some people even come out of, some young people come out of Bible colleges thinking that if I don't have a full-time position in ministry, then I'm not doing anything. And I would like to sit down with them for a moment and let me and tell them, let me tell you what real ministry is. Because real ministry is servanthood. Real ministry is being, it's serving others. It's putting, Brother Jerry, others' needs above your own needs. It is, I'll tell you what ministry is. Ministry is on a Sunday night or on Sunday morning when uh, four ladies walk in this building. Ministry and servanthood and, and, and putting others' needs ahead of ours is wrapping arms of love around someone that has maybe had a little rougher life than what we've had. Or it is, is putting, taking the time to, to, to talk to someone that may not look like us. And it's, it's all about talk, taking the time to, to talk and spend time with someone that may not believe like we believe. That is what being a servant is all about. That is, that is putting their needs ahead of my needs. That is taking my time or taking your time to reach out to someone that may be less fortunate than you. Someone that did not have the luxury, maybe like I have had, to be brought up in this thing. Sometimes we take that for granted, but, it, but ministry, servanthood, being a servant like Jesus is putting someone else's needs above my needs or putting someone else's wants above, above my wants and saying it doesn't really matter if it takes time out of my schedule and it doesn't really matter even if it's my personality or not. Or maybe it, it, it's not just about, well, maybe I, I just really don't have time to spend with them. And I really don't know what to say, so the, I'll leave that up to the ministry team. But real servanthood and real ministry is taking the time out of your busy schedule and taking the time when it may not be your personality. Maybe it's uncomfortable for you, but to look at that person or to reach out to that person and say, I know a God that loves you. I know a God that changed my life and He can change your life too. That's ministry. And so God has called all of us just like Jesus to be a servant. We think about Jesus walking on this earth and we think about everything that He did. 
We think about the miracles. We think about the ministry, the short three and a half year ministry of Jesus. But we also look back, Brother, Brother Alfonso, and look about when his parents took him to the temple to study. And the Bible says that he grew in wisdom in stature. And we look at this, this man, Jesus, and we think, man, what a great thing that he did. What a, what a great thing. What a great thing that he did for us. And we think, well, if I could just, if I just had the power to, 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 to woo a crowd with my words, if I could just uh, walk into a crowd of people with needs and be able to lay my hand upon them and to, for them to receive their healing through my prayers. And we think that, that he had this life of somewhat of, of stardom. But when in reality... His life was much lonelier than what ours is. The Bible said that man hath a place to lay his head, but the Son of Man has nowhere. He didn't have a house to live in. He did not have a, 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 a table to sit down and eat. I, I imagine that this life of Jesus is for, for 33 and a half years that he walked on this earth. My mind sees him living living on the Mount of Olives, eating whatever he could find to eat, eating and drinking whatever he could get in his grasp to sustain him to the next day. I see him as we would just pull up a seat at, a, at the dinner table. I see him at a makeshift table of a boulder as he would lay his food out on a rock. And then when he was done eating, he would go find a place to lay down and lay his head on a rock for a pillow. And we think, man, what, how good he had it and what, what a life. No, that's not, that's not what he had. But he was okay with that because he knew his purpose in the world. He knew the very reason that he came to this earth. And that was simply to be a servant, to seek and to save that which was lost, and to become the Lamb for sinners slain. And he walked this earth in that short three and a half year. You think about his life, 30 years of preparation for a three and a half year ministry. All those miracles, all those things that he did took place in a three and a half year period. A three and a half year period where he served others. Where he walked a road, a dusty road, hot trail, traveling for hours on the back of a camel, on a donkey, all to go to a place to preach the gospel. And most places that he went to, he was rejected. I want you to think about that for a moment. Because we are a people that we say, well, I, 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 don't, I don't really want to put myself out there because I'm, I'm afraid of what they would say. Or I don't, I, don't really want to, I don't really want to bring up religion because I don't, I don't want to be rejected. I don't, I don't want a door slammed in my face. Then that's not being like Christ. That's not being a servant. Because each one of us are called to be a servant. And we were called when, in, when the Word of God told us to go ye and to preach the gospel to the world. Now, it doesn't mean that we are just called to, to fill a, a pulpit or we're called to, to occupy a pew, but we are called simply, we've been commissioned simply to go ye to the world and to preach the gospel. Not, not preach a, a, a well-orchestrated sermon, not to, not to woo somebody with our vocabulary, or not to woo someone with our oratory, but to go and tell someone about the saving grace of Jesus. 
To go tell somebody that there is a way out of their sin. To go tell somebody that there is a life that is better than the life that you are living. There is more to life than the pit of sin that they are living in. But we are commissioned and we are called to just as Christ did. We are called to be all things to all people. To be a servant like Jesus. You may... You may never preach a sermon behind a pulpit. You may never lead worship in a service. Or you may never even teach a Sunday school class. But you, everybody point at your chest and say me. Say I. You are called to be a servant. You are called to serve. What does it mean to be a servant like Jesus? I'm glad you asked. Being a servant like Jesus means forsaking your will in order to serve others selfishly. Selfishly, rather. What does it mean to be a servant like Jesus? It's simply serving with the right motivation. Putting God's will ahead of my will. I think the Bible somewhere says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. Here's the problem. Here's the problem that I see with today's society and some problem that I see with the church in general, that others, people want to serve as long as it gains them recognition. People want to serve as long as they have a position. People want to serve as long as pastor thanks me publicly from the pulpit. That's the problem with the church because we, we so many times, and we all get caught up in this at one time or another, we all want to serve out of a selfish motive because it's what, what, what can I get from it? What, what, does it do, what does it do for me or how will others look up on me and respect me if I serve in this capacity? Our, our, our motives have become misconstrued, and we've, we've, we've thought about, we think that it's, it's all about what, what we want. Don't ask me to serve in that area because I want to preach. Or don't, don't ask me to teach a Sunday school class, Pastor, because what I really want is what I, I, really, want, I really want some pulpit time. Or don't, don't ask me to to lead worship in a, in a youth service or a, a, a student service because really what I want to do is I want to lead worship on a Sunday night. And by the way, I would gladly hand that to you. But we serve so many times out of what will it do for me? What, how will it make me look in the eyes of my peers? As long as I get the recognition... As long as I get the, the, the position, as long as I get the nameplate on the door, then I'm willing to serve. That's not being Christ-like. That's not being a servant like Jesus was a servant. But it's when we can serve, is when we come at, up at the church, Scotty, when nobody else is around. And those of you that, that come up when nobody else is here and you, you clean the church and you you mop the floors and you vacuum the carpet. My, aren't we thankful that people, someone comes every week and cleans a church? And when we come into service on a Wednesday or a Sunday, that we have a nice, clean place to worship? But that's being a servant. When nobody else is around, nobody, nobody is there to, to, to see you in the limelight, but you're going to sneak in and you're going you're gonna to run a sweeper. You're going you're gonna to dust a, a pulpit. You're going to get all the, all the spit off the pulpit from Sunday night or Wednesday night. That's what being a servant like Jesus is. It's not about standing behind a pulpit. I, I'm glad that I, God has called me to this area. I'm thankful for that. But listen, I don't need a pulpit to be a servant. I don't need to preach on a Wednesday night to be a servant. But I can go out in my... Uh, being a real servant is when on a Monday morning... 
When you're at work and someone says, hey, man, I've really had a tough week. I really, I, my family's falling apart. My marriage is falling apart. My relationship, my kid's sick and I don't know what to do. Being a servant like Jesus is taking the time to pull them aside and say, let me, let me hear what's, what's going on and let me, let me pray for you. I, I'll pray for your situation and I think that God is going to turn everything out for your good. Or when someone is hurting, someone may not have money to put food on the table to feed their kids. Being a servant is, is slipping them 20, $10 or $20 when nobody else sees what you're doing. Not when pastor's around, not when anybody else is around, but it's, it's helping to meet the needs of others. It's putting, putting your desires and, and your needs far above what I may need or what I may want. It's making sure that we that we meet the needs of others. If our service, if our servanthood is only to be seen and to receive recognition, then we don't really have a servant's heart. If it's all about what it's in it for me and what I can get and what I can gain, then I don't really have a servant's heart. I don't really possess a Christ-like servanthood mentality because servants don't care. Servants don't care if they ever get recognized. There are people that are in this church tonight that you've cleaned the church almost every week since I was this high, this tall. I remember, I know I know that you've, you've been up here week after week, year after year, and you've given of yourself tirelessly. And maybe you've never gotten the recognition publicly from the pulpit, but I want you to know that someone at least can say, I've seen what you're doing. I know what you're doing, and I commend you, and I thank you for a servant's heart because that's what a real servant is. A real servant doesn't care if you ever get recognized from a pulpit. A real servant doesn't, doesn't care if they ever receive the accolades of man. But a real servant is only concerned with is what I'm doing pleasing to God? Is what I'm doing going to please God? A servant, a real servant, knows that God will exalt them in due season. Yeah, you may, you may never get recognized. You may never, your name may never be called from a pulpit at camp meeting. You may never get recognized at a general conference. You may never get recognized at a North American Youth Congress. But God knows your heart. God knows what you're doing. God knows that, you're, that you possess a heart that says that I will serve. I'll do whatever I can to serve in any capacity that I can serve. Too often, we are guilty and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lump myself into this. Too often, we are guilty of self-centered, of being self-centered servants when we should be God-centered servants. You see, Jesus' life and ministry are both perfect examples of what a, a true servant or are examples of a true servant who always put the needs of others first. When he healed the sick. When he gave his life on an old rugged cross. When he bent over at the door. When his disciples walked into that room. And he took that water. And he knelt down and he washed his disciples feet. Think about that. The king of kings and the lord of lords. Bending down to wash his disciples' feet when it should have been he that had his feet washed. Why did he do that? Because he was showing what a servant was. He was showing us, he was giving us a, an example of how to serve others. Now listen, I'm, I'm not asking you tonight to come and wash my feet. Okay, I'm not, I don't want, we don't, you wash somebody else's feet. That's fine. 
But Jesus was giving us an example of how to serve others. You think that you think that he wanted to wash somebody's feet? I mean, let's just get real. No paved roads in the desert. 180,000 degrees, dust, toe jam, Jason. I, we make a lie. I'm trying to be funny here tonight, but think about that. Sandals, no, no socks. But Jesus said, I'm going to wash your feet. His disciples say, no, no, it's, it's, we, we should be washing. He said, no, if, I can't, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you cannot be part of me. You can't, no. I, I, I'm, I, you're missing the whole purpose of why I'm even here. You're missing the, how, how long have you walked with me? How long have you, have you talked with me? How, how much time have you spent with me? Do you not know that I have come to serve you? And tonight, I guess what I'm trying to tell you is that as a church, we need to take on a servant's heart. We need to, we need to check our heart and make sure that, that everything that we are doing, everything that we do in ministry, if you teach, a, if, you, if, you, if you preach behind the pulpit, if you, if you pray, sing, if you, if you serve on the board, if you teach a Sunday school class, then you are a servant. But we better check our heart and make sure that we are serving out of the right motive. It's not because of the title. And it's not because of the position, but it's because I want to be more like Christ. And if I'm going to be like Christ, then I better take on a servanthood mentality and realize it's not about me holding this mic, but it's about me helping meet the needs of others. It's about me when, when, when the hurting come into this place like they did on Sunday, it's about me making sure that I take the time and say, what are you facing in your life? What's going on? Let me pray with you. I'm here for you, whatever that you need. I had somebody call me this week, and I don't toot my own horn or anything, so please don't get me wrong, but there was a real need, a real serious need. And it wasn't just because that I'm the assistant pastor and pastor's not back in town. But I, drove, I got in my car, my wife and I got in our car, and we drove to another city just to be with someone. Why did you do that? Because they were hurting. They needed somebody. They didn't need my counsel. They didn't need me. The deal is what they were facing. I had nothing to say to them. But I've decided, Scotty, I'm going to go to where they are because they're hurting. They need to get it out. I'm going to be there just to listen to what they have to say. It wasn't about being an assistant pastor. I didn't go in in a suit and tie. I had jeans and a, a button-down shirt on. I looked all nasty. But I went there to spend time. Why did you do that? Because there is a, a part of me, there's something in my heart that said, I can do something to help alleviate what they're going through. Right. Hear me tonight. It's not about what we can say to them. It's not about, so many times people come to us, and I've had to, I've had to, look at this myself, they'll talk to me about a problem, and I always want to be quick. First of all, those situations even make me uncomfortable, so I feel like i got to say something. I'm going to give you my words of wisdom. And I don't have any. I've had to, don't shake your head at me, or nod your head at me. But we think that we've got we've to tell something that is going to be this great revelation to get them through. Guess what? Sometimes people just want somebody who will listen. Not being quick to open my mouth to interject, well, this is what I think, or this is how I see it. But maybe someone just wants to get something off their chest. I talked to somebody on the phone. A grown man who broke down sobbing to me. And I'm holding the phone thinking, God, what am I going to say to this person? You know what I did? There's about a 30-second 
awkward pause as they sobbed and I just held the phone. Why? Because they didn't need me to say anything. They didn't need me to, need me to do anything but listen. Sometimes our greatest asset or the greatest asset that we can bring to someone, to bring to, to someone who's hurting or to bring someone that's going through calamity is just to be a shoulder to cry on and an ear to listen. It's being a servant. It's not about, it's not about what I can say to you. It's not about, about what I can say that will minister to you deeply because the truth is so many times we don't know what to say. We don't, know, we don't know what to do, but it's being there for someone. Taking time to serve others first might just be the thing that has the biggest impact in someone's life. Pastor has said it many times from this pulpit, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. A lot of wisdom in that. You can tell them, you can, you can give them, the, you can feed them the greatest line in the world. But if they think that you're not really into what they're saying or you don't really care about their problems, guess what? What you say, no matter how profound that may be, is going to fly right over their head. They're not going to retain anything. But if they know that you care, if they know that you're concerned, that's what impacts people's lives. That's, that's what can change a life because sometimes it's the smallest act that has the biggest impact on somebody's life. I will, I'll, I'll say this, and I'm, I'm going to quickly move along after this, but I went to Bible school in 1994, a long time ago. And uh, I, was, I was nobody. I had, nobody knew me. There was a lot of guys there that their dad was someone of renown in the UPC. You know, they, they were a, a conference preacher, a camp meeting preacher. And when you go there and you're, you're, you're not, your dad's not one of those guys or you're not one of those guys, you don't come from that. Sometimes it can be a little intimidating, and I went to uh, the Bible. I wasn't the most popular, okay? I know that you all think I was, but I wasn't. Lighten up tonight. <laughs> but I went, and there was an instant that, and I see this guy every once in a while. Actually, I'll tell you exactly who it was. It was Brother Brosom's father-in-law, Donnie Cunningham one of the greatest men I've ever met in my life, one of the greatest servants I've ever met in my entire life. He, I, I was a drummer, and so I, I played some around Calvary, and he was the worship leader. And I, to me, it was, you know, Donnie Cunningham. My Lord. You know, I, I get to play drums tonight, and Donnie's, Donnie Cunningham's leading worship. But what he did for me, in my life, in my in those impressionable years, was Mick, much like I've told you, you've impacted me in my life, but much like you, he always took the time. He didn't know who I was. He had no clue who I was. But he always took the time to go out of his way to ask me how I was doing. If I was standing in the altar after service, I could be standing there and I'd feel an arm wrap around my shoulder. And I'd look, and Brother Cunningham would pull me tight. He said, how you doing, buddy? You doing good today? How things going? How's your family? How's... Listen, to this day, I can see Brother Cunningham somewhere. And I may be at a conference, and we may be 50 yards apart. But if he sees me, he will walk over to me just to ask me how I'm doing. The, one of the greatest impacting things in my life, sometimes it's just asking someone, how are you doing today? Hey, I, I know your mom's been sick. I know, I know you've not been feeling well. How are how you, how you feeling? Are you, 
And listen, and I'm not talking about just putting on a show, going wrapping your arm around somebody and say, hey, I know you've been sick. I'm going to ask you how you, I don't really care. But taking the time, letting them know that you care, not just in the church, but people outside of the church. You know that they're going through something in their life. There's nothing wrong with wrapping your arm around them in a Walmart and say, how you been doing? I know you've been struggling a little bit. I know you've been hurting. I'm praying for you. I want you to know that is being a servant because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You ever walk away from somebody that talked to you and say, well, that was awkward because they felt obligated. How many times have we been guilty of that? feeling the obligation to say something or feeling the obligation to say hi, but when's the last time that we called somebody up on the phone or we took time out of our busy schedule to say, thinking about you. I want you to know I love you. Pastor friend of mine the other day just texted me out of the blue. No idea what I'm going through. No idea if I'm going through anything. Texted me. He said, hey, I love you today, bud. I just, just had you on my mind. I want you to know I love you. I appreciate your friendship. That's being a servant. Taking your time to let someone else know how much that you care. In Genesis chapter 24, we read the account of Eliezer, which which was Abraham's eldest servant who ruled over everything that Abraham had. Most trusted servant who was chosen with the task to find a bride for Abraham's son Isaac. Eliezer was sent to Abraham's former country and searched for the perfect bride. We read the account uh, in Genesis chapter 24 where, where Abraham gathered his servant in and he said, I want you, I want you to make an oath with me. I want you, I want you to promise me some things. And in chapter 24 of Genesis, verses 3 and 4, the Bible says, And I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell here. But thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred, and take a wife to my son Isaac. Here's what I want you to understand. He said, I don't want you to choose someone in this land, but I want you to go to my land. And we read that and we think, well, that's, you know, okay. He's, he is a servant of Abraham. That's, he should go. But what I want you to understand that Abraham was living in the land of Cana, but he was from the land of Mesopotamia. And there was only about 500 plus miles that separated the two lands. He was telling his servant of that day, he said, listen, you could, you could find a, a good girl here. I'm sure you could. But I want you to find someone in my homeland. And guess what the servant did? He didn't argue with Abraham. He didn't say, well, Abraham, it would be much easier Do you have any idea how long it would take me to travel that far? It would be much easier if we could choose somebody here. But the Bible says that the servant obeyed, and he began began the long, laborious journey to Mesopotamia. It would have been easier, yes. But the servant rather chose to carry out the wishes of the one who had sent him. And that'll preach. When we get it in our minds that we are going to carry out the commission, the wishes of the one who has sent us in the first place. We talk about wanting to be a servant, but are we doing everything that he wishes? We talk about wanting to serve, and we, we talk about wanting to, wanting to do something for the kingdom of God. How many times does God ask us? Or how many times does God prod us? Or how many times does God put it in our spirit to do something? But we say, well, that's, it would be much easier, God, if I would just do it this way. It, it's going to be the same result. Don't worry. 
but when it becomes less about what's easiest for me or what is more comfortable for me, but it's about saying, God, whatever your will is, whatever you wish, then I'm going to do that. If it means traveling 500 miles on the back of a donkey, then so be it, God. If it means doing something that I'm not comfortable with, something that's outside of what I want to do, God, if you are asking me to do that, then your servant is going to do what you wish. What a great example that we find with Eleazar. Willing to make that. When we can drive, we can get in a car today. I could get it, it's about 500 miles to where my mother-in-law and father-in-law are from, from here. I could get in a car right now, 11 or 12 hours I'd be there. On the back of a camel, 500 miles, you think about how long that would take. But the servant said, whatever you wish, Abraham, I'll do what you have asked me to do. And here's what I want you to notice, that when the servant arrived, the first thing that he did he offered a prayer for Abraham. In verse number 12, he stopped everything and he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. He could have complained and said, my Lord, that was the journey of a lifetime. I don't ever want to do that again. But he stopped everything that he was doing and he said, I'm going to offer a blessing to my master. Listen, when we serve, when we have a servant's heart, that means that we will do whatever we are asked to do. Doesn't matter how uncomfortable, doesn't matter how much that we don't want to do it. It doesn't matter what it costs me or how much time it takes out of my schedule, but it's about accomplishing the wishes of the one that has sent us. I think of Job. Think of Job. The Bible calls him a perfect and upright man. He had everything that everybody wanted. He was who everybody wanted to be. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys. He had a great, great household. There was a conversation that took place between God and Satan when God saw Satan walking to and fro. And he said, what are you doing? He said, I'm walking to and fro in the earth and walking the length of it, looking for someone. And he said, have you considered Job? Have you considered my servant, Job? He said, yeah, I've considered him. He's considered it many times. He said, I can't touch him for the hedge of that you have built around him. I can't, listen, there's something about being a servant of the Most High God. Because not, a, not only are there blessings that come with being a servant, but there is a covering of protection. There is, there is a covering of protection when we are in the servant, uh, the, the, when we are serving as a servant in the house of the Lord. There's a certain protection that comes along with that. He said, I'll remove my protection. You can touch him. You can do whatever. Just don't take his life. We know the story, all this that I read to you that Job had, his children, his possessions, his houses. In one day, he went from being a man of renown who had everything that everybody wanted to having nothing because God allowed Satan to take everything. Why did he do that? Because the Lord knew that Job's heart was different than some, everybody else's. He knew that there was something that had been instilled in Job. He knew something that jo he knew that Job possessed a heart unlike anybody else. He said, "That's fine. Take everything from him." Satan said, "If I, if I take if you let me touch him, I promise you, he'll curse you to your face." So God said, "Go for it, bud." Took everything. And when Job's own wife looked at him and said, you're crazy. Why don't you just curse God and die? Get it over with. Job rebuked her. And when his friends came around and they said, Job, you've lost your mind. He said, yeah, 
Maybe. But one thing I'll tell you, that naked I came into this world and naked I shall return. The good Lord has given and he has taken away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. How many of us in this place would would react like Job reacted if God took everything from us? But Job possessed a heart of a servant that said, I don't care if it costs me everything. I don't care if walking with the Lord causes me to lose everything and causes everybody to turn their back on me. I don't care if it costs me my relationships in life, but I am going to be a servant of the Most High God. And in the end, you read the account all through the book of Job, his friends talking with him, Job getting down on himself and being depressed. But in the end, because of his faithfulness to the Lord, Job received much more in the end than he ever had in the beginning. Why is that? Because Job had a servant's heart. He said, I, that's fine. That's, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that I lost everything. It doesn't matter that, that, that I had everything taken from me when others would be sitting in the corner pouting and sucking their thumbs, Job said, that's okay. If God returns it to me, great. If he doesn't return, that's being a servant. If he doesn't return it to me, so be it. But I'm going to serve God. I'm going to do, I'm going to do what I can. I'm, I'm, I'm more concerned with carrying out the wishes of the one who sent me. I'm more concerned about that than what I have in this life. How many can say that tonight? I'm more concerned about pleasing God than I am about gaining everything in life. I'm quickly drawn to a close. 2 Samuel 23, David talks about David's mighty men. They fought together. They battled together. David trusted these men with his own life, and they trusted David with theirs. They were in battle Chapter 23 of 2 Samuel, they were in battle against the Philistines together. And David, for fear of his life, was held up in a cave outside of Bethlehem because the Philistines had invaded Bethlehem. David knew that going into Bethlehem would be certain death for him. And here's what I want to bring out to you in this 23rd chapter of 2 Samuel. The Bible says that David held up in that cave. He just simply made a statement and he said, Oh, that one would give me a drink of water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. He didn't ask his servants anything. He didn't ask anything of them. He said, Oh, I long for that drink of water from the well of Bethlehem. And then... He just simply dismisses it. But I want you to realize what happened. David never asked them to fight their way into Bethlehem. But they were so loyal and they were so concerned, Brother Bollinger, with pleasing their master that those three men got up from that cave and they fought through the host of the Philistines because... Because their master simply had a longing for a drink of water. See, when you have the heart of a servant, you'll be willing to fight and to face death if need be to provide your master with his desires. You will do whatever you can to make sure that he has everything that he wants. How many times has God prodded us? How many times has God impressed us just with a, a statement of sheer longing? Oh, I long for my people to praise me. Oh, I long for, for someone to do a work for me. And we just say, well, I'll pray that I pray that that person comes along. I, I, I pray that, that someone comes along that would fulfill when God is just simply longing for something, but He's looking for someone just to take the initiative and say, I'll do it. 
I, I know what it means. I, I, know, I know how hard it would be. I know that I may even die in the end. I know that those men left that cave knowing that they may never come back. They knew that if they were caught by the Philistines, that they would surely die. But they said, my master has want. And I'm his servant. So I'm going to go get what he wants. I can't imagine Joe or David's reaction when those men came back with that drink of water. Maybe he chided them. Maybe he said, I didn't ask you to do that. I just said, oh, what I would give. But their mentality and their heart was making sure that they carried out the will of their master. They carried out the desires of the one who had sent them, who had fought with them, who had provided for them, who had trusted, trusted them with his very life. David knew, or rather these men knew, that their whole, the whole purpose for them existing, their whole, whole existence was built around the will of their master. Jesus, and I close with this tonight, Jesus was a perfect example of a servant. He was the Lord. He was God manifest in flesh in a form of a servant. Think about it. He left the splendor of heaven for the, hum- the humblest of births in a feeding trough. And he left heaven for the life of just a common man. He worked a common trade, a carpenter. He ate, drank whatever he could, and slept wherever he could find a place to sleep. His feet got dirty walking the roads of Judea and Galilee. Yet, he washed the feet of others. His, no, no one had ever before that time or since that time even gave up so great an existence for things so ordinary. He's rejected by his own people. Couldn't do, couldn't do miracles in his homeland because nobody would receive him. Yet Jesus continually throughout the scripture expressed a servant's heart as he serves those around him through healing, through teaching, and to saving those that were lost. The Bible, yes, does teach us, teach us to be Christ-like. But in order to be Christ-like, we have to exhibit a servant's heart. How can we be like Christ if we won't serve? How can we be like Christ if my needs are more important than His needs? How can we be like Christ if we won't go to the highways and to the byways? How how can we be like Christ and yet not care about my brother or my sister? We often say, oh, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, we are by the way. Am I my sister's keeper? Yes. Yes, you are. That's being Christ-like. Did, did, did Jesus have to involve himself in the affairs of everybody that he came across? No, he didn't have to. But there was something on the inside that caused him to get involved when others would just have walked by. That's being Christ. Jesus paid the price knowing that it was going to cost him his very life. He was rejected, ridiculed, beat, spit upon, had his beard plucked, his clothes ripped off. He was hurt. And yes, sometimes these things will come to us just like they came to Jesus. I want that to sink into you because we do have an awesome responsibility. 
as children of God. Our job is so important because not because of the job itself, but our job is important because of who has commissioned us for the job. That's what makes our job important. Our goal should be to hear Him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord. I don't know about you tonight. Sobering responsibility as I think about it. But I want to hear Him say, Well done. I want to serve. I want want to do whatever I can to be the least even in the kingdom of God. Let me, let me serve in any capacity. I just happen to have been elected to serve in the capacity that I am, and I'm grateful for it. But if I wasn't an assistant pastor, if I wasn't a minister, I would serve in any aspect that I could in the kingdom of God because of the one who has commissioned me to do what he has called me to do. Stand with me tonight. I want to leave you with this. That a true servant seeks the favor of his master. He'll do whatever he can to seek the favor of the one who has sent him. The University of, I ran across this, I thought it was very interesting. The University of California, Davis, did some research, and they found, very interesting, they found that our hearts beat in sync with those whom we love. Did you know that? That when we are with somebody that we love, that we have a deep affection for, our hearts beat in sync. So when we get close to or even in close proximity to that person or to those that we love, our hearts will begin to beat as one. How fitting that the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. Because David loved the Lord with everything. When we get close to God, and we are in real relationship with God, and we, we, we live our lives for Him, and we do everything. We take our, our very next breath is in Him. Then we will begin to take on the same heartbeat. My heart, your heart, will begin to beat in sync with the Lord's. That is having a servant's heart. That is taking on the heart that God has. When we are in relationship and we, we draw close through prayer, through fasting, through a daily feeding of the Word of God, when we begin to do those things, then suddenly the things that we thought we didn't want to spend our time on, the things that we didn't want to give up our, our evening for to, to go to a work night or to do, evan- hello? To do evangelism or, or, or to, to, to have any part in the kingdom of God, then suddenly when we are doing those things and we are real, we, it's one thing to say that I have a relationship with God, but it's a completely other thing when my heart begins to beat in sync with His. It's one thing for me to say, well, I have a relationship, but it's another thing for me to have my heart start beating in sync. And when Jesus, when Christ's heart becomes my heart, when His heartbeat becomes my heartbeat. But when we have these things, then those things that we didn't want to give up our night for are suddenly not such a big deal. Why is that? Because we have taken on His heart. Our hearts are beating in sync because we are in close proximity. We are in, we are in relationship. We are, we are in love with our Master. We are in love with that One. And we are, we are so close to Him that His heartbeat is my heartbeat. And my heartbeat is his heartbeat. And suddenly, serving is no problem. Being a servant, being a lowly servant, is no problem because I love him that much 
and I'm in close relationship with Him. I don't know about you, but I want my heart to beat with His. I want to. I want to be. I want to be in that close proximity. I, I want. I want God's heart to be my heart. I want a servant's heart. I know that you do too. Would you just raise your hands in this place? Would you ask God to help us? God, make your heart beat. Our heart beat. Like let our hearts beat in sync. God, let us draw so close to you, God, that we. We become in sync, God, that I, my desire, your desires rather become my desires and your wants become my wants, God, and, and what you see and what you deem as important in life is what I deem important in my life. God, help us to be a servant. God, help us to be servants. Help us to serve others. Help us to serve our brothers and sisters. Help us to serve those, God that are even lost. God, help us to be a light in their darkness. Help us, God, to let them know how much we care and how much we are concerned.